Last week, we started a new series called The Decalogue. The Decalogue is, uh, is the fancy way of talking about the Ten Commandments. And so we started a series last week looking at those ten words. It's interesting that uh, there's one time in all of human history that God audibly spoke to his people and then wrote with his finger. And the time that he did that was to tell us the Ten Commandments. It's amazing. It means that they're incredibly important. And the primary thing that they are is they give content to love. Sometimes you don't know what love looks like. Well, when we look at the Ten Commandments, it paints a picture of what loving God and loving others looks like. So we're beginning to look today at the first commandment, and it's Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. The first thing that God wants to say to us is this. Why is he saying you shall have no other gods before me? Is he, uh, is he kind of an insecure God? He just wants to make sure, you know, that we have a, um, he has a special place in our heart. Is that what's going on? No, he is saying something that's incredibly important to define our relationship with him and to explain, I think, what life is all about. God's first priority is his people's singular devotion to him. The context of hearing these commands is, uh, is them leaving Egypt, which was a land of slavery. They were under an oppressive ruler called Pharaoh. And the 10 plagues, if you guys know that story, there were 10 plagues that convinced Pharaoh to kind of let God's people go. Thank you so much. To let God's people go. Those 10, those 10 plagues were actually in reference to 10 gods in Egypt. And each of those plagues was showing God's um, power over those false gods that were worshipped in Egypt. And so this command could read, do not look to any other God to save you. I, want, I am your savior. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one who took you out of Egypt and will continue to save you. Those other gods that were once worshipped in Egypt, don't serve them. I defeated those gods. Don't go back to a defeated God. Let me be your God. In the way that you receive my leadership and deliverance is by being singularly devoted to me. So, if I was to ask you, what do you think your main problem in life is? How would you answer that? What's, uh, and I won't give you the mic. But, uh, you know, if you were just in your head, what is, what is the biggest problem in my life right now? Perhaps you think it's economic. Or there's mental struggles that you have where you feel confused or discouraged. You feel unstable internally. It could be a situation at home or at work. What do you think is your biggest problem? This commandment makes an incredibly bold statement. And it's this, that our primary problem in life, as well as our answer, but our primary problem in life is a matter of worship. Now, for the longest time, worship was just something that we just did a minute ago. Like, it's an event. And it's something that we, we sing some songs, or maybe if we read our Bible, that we, we praise and worship God. But to consider that it would be our primary problem and therefore our primary solution 
is just a, it's just a radical thought. And so I would like to be able to convince you in the next short while that we have together that this really is the main issue that you and I are struggling with. It's not willpower. It's not a circumstance. It's not something internal or external. It's our worship of God. Uh, so the primary problem that uh, the Hebrews had is that they were under an oppressive, they were under an oppressive ruler, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and that that relationship was described as slavery. Now, uh, who do you think, so, so in Egypt, the, there was multiple gods, but then kind of uh, Pharaoh was also considered to be a god. When you, when you think about Canada, what do you think our religion or our worship is here? Uh, when we think about what a country is, a country, in order to be a country, requires a few different, it has a few different requirements. The first thing that you need, take notes if you want to be a dictator, the first thing that you need is you need some land. Some land that nobody else is vying for, it's your own land. Uh, you need that first. And then you need a government in, that, uh, in order to rule that land. And part of the government will be some kind of military force. Canada's still working on this. It's a joke. Um, but, uh, but you have some kind of military force. And in order to make sure that the laws are going to be um, obeyed. And now, get this. What every country has is a religion. Every country has a religion. It's easy to think that there's Muslim countries and, and Buddhist countries, but, but we're just a, a secular nation, and we don't have any particular religion. It's not true. There's one God, and if you've heard me say this before, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it again. There's one God that rules our nation, and it's the God of self. This far and away is the, uh, let me say, demonic force that enslaves us and oppresses us. Now, already, this is an incredibly hard sell. That we would think that the God of self is somehow messing with us. Everything that gets told you and I is that the, um, uh, the answer to most of our problems is going to be something about self. We need to have self-care. We need to feel self-empowered. We need to pursue self-fulfillment. We need to manage ourselves. We need to have clear boundaries around ourselves so as not to be polluted by other people who, uh, who make us unhappy. We are told that there's virtually no problem. Sure, we shouldn't get, like, selfish, but, um, but that's another thing, we think. And, and this God of self is usually not seen at all, and if it's seen, it's seen in a favorable light. What we need to know is that the oppression of this God is unlike other kinds of gods. A number of years ago, I was at a uh, Every Nation conference. I believe that it was in California. And we had somebody come and speak to us who came out of the underground church in China. And his involvement in the church was incredibly intense. He was uh, put in jail numerous times, tortured numerous times. And so he was smuggled out of the country came and spoke at an Every Nation conference. And here's what he said. I'll never forget it. He says, I find 
that the oppression that I experience in North America to be far more significant than the oppression and persecution that I experienced in China. And I thought, well, that's impossible. Uh, nobody's ever been tortured here as far, I mean, as, I don't remember that. And uh, maybe there's some difficulties, but lighten up. Like, that can't be true. And he says, what I experienced in China was external oppression. What I experienced here in North America is internal oppression, and that is far more debilitating. That was shocking to me. I had never considered that there would be a God over our nation that is somehow oppressing us to such a degree that it could be even equated with any other kind of external oppression that people feel elsewhere. What does that oppression look like? We are told, this God tells us all the time in countless different ways, that, uh, that it, 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 it rules us with two primary things, mistrust and fear. Of course, this God stems back to Genesis chapter 3, where um, the, uh, the serpent says to Adam and Eve, Eve first, um, you be like God. Uh, don't trust God. Uh, trust yourself. And the first experience that they had was anxiety when they were put in charge of their own lives instead of trusting in God. And this is what we see in our nation. Uh, I, I, get to, uh, I get to use the phrase, now that I'm older. Never used to say that. But now that I'm older, I, uh, I am shocked how much our society has changed in the short amount of time that I have, have been on this earth. I uh, was talking to somebody in our uh, Surrey site this morning. He says, Canada had a, uh, had a, had a fear of God, and there was, he, he described it as a hangover. That there's a Christian hangover over Canada that was still lingering. But it's lingering less and less and less, and the God of self is rising stronger and stronger and stronger. And the level of mistrust, the level of anxiety, the level of fear in our country is staggering to me. Now, it's the, uh, it's the water we swim in, and so we just think this is the way life is. I'm overwhelmed by the oppression that is against you and I living in this country. And the fruit of that is primarily isolation. When you listen to people uh, talk now, and they're going through difficulties, almost always the solution is to pull away. Make our life smaller, more controlled, more like self. So here's the point. You and I worship all day long. We don't just worship on a Sunday. We, don't just, we worship all day long. We're making decisions all day long according to a God that is... Uh, is uh, invisible, unable to see tangibly, but is affecting us all the time. In the decisions that we make, the feelings that we have, the way that we approach life is dictated by a God. And the most ingenious work of the enemy that I've seen in our country is to get a whole nation believing that, it, there, that there is no God at all. It's the perfect disguise. And just as well, we're just, uh, I'm just caring about myself. I mean, 
I don't believe in spiritual stuff, or I'm, I'm spiritual, but I just don't have a, a, a commitment to anything. No, no, no. You and I are being oppressed all the time by a spiritual power, the God of self. So how does this false God work? Uh, how do false gods control us and affect us? How do we affect them? How does this work? Well, uh, let's go back to when these Ten Commandments were given and what the gods would have been like back then. Back then, there was a, a, a great variety of gods, and those gods were primarily believed in in order to bring personal blessing. So there was a god of fertility. There, was a, uh, there would be a god of, uh, of you know, climate. And these kinds of things, we would try to gain favor with them so that they would bless us. Now listen to how one scholar describes what a relationship with a God would be like, and then we'll try to relate it to the God of self. The one sort of hold or advantage humans had over the gods was the ability to feed them. It was felt that if one fed a God, that God was in turn obligated to use his power on behalf of the feed worshiper. I think this is so funny, that you want a God to give you power and to bless you, but it can't feed itself or walk. I think that's just, that seemed like an oversight on their part. But anyways, that's okay. That's okay. They do other stuff, I guess. So uh, not much else was required. If you fed a God adequately and regularly, that God would bless you in return with abundance of crops and fertility of cattle, which is what we all want. Can I say amen? We all want more cattle in our lives. So that's what it was like. You would, you would have these gods, and you would feed them with a sacrifice, and if they liked the sacrifice, they'd bless you. So the question that we need to ask is, what does our God like? What does the God of Canada feed on? What does he or she particularly enjoy? And I think it's this, and it's based out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Singular devotion. The unique quality of the God of self is it wants no competing gods. When you look in other nations, I was just, I was actually preaching in Montreal via Zoom this morning, and after the sermon, there was a Q&A time, and somebody said, uh, who was asking some questions, they said, I, I became a Christian, I'm Canadian, I became a Christian uh, while I was in Japan, and in Shintoism, there is uh, millions of gods. Canada will have no part of that. The God of self demands supremacy and uniqueness above all else. The temptation given is you'll be God and no one else will be. You'll be God deciding what right and wrong is. I don't, I don't work with other gods. I don't do that. There's no pantheon of gods in Canada. There's one God that demands exclusive devotion, and it's all about me. The promise, the promise is you'll have peace. You'll have that inner turmoil that you feel. That inner turmoil will go away when my opinions, my feelings, my needs, and my rights are properly acknowledged and matter most. So listen now. This is profound. That you and I, uh, according to this God's uh, theology, message to us, 
says, you'll feel peace. Right now you have turmoil, totally get it. Really anxious world, and it's all about the economy. That's why we're anxious. And no, so the way that you're going to get peace is if the world revolves around you uh, more clearly. And it's your opinions that need to be respected. It's your feelings. that need, And nobody else can tell you what you should feel. Nobody else should have the right to tell you what to think. And that's what's messing you up. And so the only way that you're going to get free is if you only listen to yourself. Your needs matter above all other needs. And if your marriage isn't meeting your needs, agree to disagree and move on. It's totally legitimate. Your rights matter above all other rights. Of course, you care about other people's rights because you know they're selfish too. But the idea is, is that I will have peace when my rights are acknowledged. And I think this is a a shocking theology or philosophy that is just assumed to be normal. That I'm not feeling good today because stuff isn't revolving around me very well. So how do we find freedom from this oppressive God that tries to make it all about us and to make our world smaller and smaller and smaller to the point... uh, where we are thoroughly isolated. I think the logic of this shows up. I did a, I, I took a, well, I just attended a, a seminar at Regent College last month on euthanasia. And the logic is perfect for the worship of self that uh, we're now at the point where if I don't like my life, I have the right to take it. That's a, that's a logical conclusion to the God of self. Uh, I even demand how I'm going to end my life, not just live my life. It, it makes total sense. We look at, uh, at gender identity. I, def- I define my gender. How could anybody else define? I define me. This is all tremendously logical following the philosophy that's ruling our nation. And the fact that it's not acknowledged as being a religion is, uh, well, first of all, it's ingenious, but it's tremendously sobering. So how do we fight then against this God of self? Well, maybe we fight. And we're going to, uh, we should all uh, collect some placards, perhaps go to Ottawa, Victoria, say that Christianity should be also given equal rights in this country. It's a free country. Maybe we should fight for it. Uh, Seems unpopular. Uh, The more popular notion is that we negotiate. And I think the negotiation uh, uh, typically looks like this. Uh, Look, I have these needs. I have these desires. And so, Jesus, would you help me? I'm trying to worship the God of self, and it's not going well. And so, Jesus, if you please come and help me, then I'll have the kind of life that will finally give me the peace that I'm looking for. And don't worry, I'll I'll give you credit, or at least a bit. We negotiate. Here's what is remarkable about the first commandment. That there's one thing 
that is asked of us that would deliver us from all other gods, and it's simply this, faithfulness. God says, don't have any other gods, stay faithful to me. Because what's oppressing you is far beyond your ability to, uh, to overcome. You can't do it. I was in a, um, I, I used to, there was a, a man named John Wimber. And um, he and others started some churches called the Vineyard Churches. But before those churches started, he would just go around uh, to various churches and preach a gospel that I thought was, was outstanding. <clears throat> and uh, I remember one story being told. This, is, uh, there, this was a very charismatic movement, so there was lots of um, demons coming out of people and people... Um, experiencing healing in all kinds of different ways. It was really very remarkable and very biblically rooted, I thought. And they noticed that there was this, um, there was a group of people around a particular individual and they were trying to cast a demon out of this, uh, out of this guy. And one of the leaders came up and says, uh, says, uh, stop doing that. And they go, what do you, like we're trying to bring freedom. And he says, uh, you have no idea what you're dealing with. Like you're, you're playing exorcist. And this is a demon that is way out of your league. You don't, you don't want to stir that up. That's weird. So you can disagree with that and say we have authority in Jesus' name, which we do. Anyways, uh, there are some things that are way bigger than you and I think is going on. And the thing, again, I have to say it again, that I find most angering uh, is that um, when you and I are discouraged and depressed and overwhelmed and oppressed, we think it's our fault when actually we're being demonically um, attacked. I just, uh, I feel uh, protective of us as a community and of people in general that I, I just think it's so wrong. God calls us to be faithful. Now, uh, so let's do some scenarios. Let's say that you feel misunderstood at work and you feel disrespected. You've worked harder than other people and other people are giving, getting promotions that you're not getting. You feel condemned all the time. I feel condemned all the time. You wouldn't want to be, uh, you wouldn't want to be around me uh, last Wednesday. It was just a bad day. And I wake up condemned. Just stuff going through my head about uh, everything wrong with me. And it's a day of just, uh, of just condemnation. Uh, maybe you're feeling anxious. How do you control that? Anxiety comes on us. We don't ask for it. It comes on us. And that we would blame ourselves or even blame others it doesn't seem right or sufficient. There's more going on. Maybe you feel angry. Maybe you feel broke. You have no money. Whatever the situation, this is the advice. This is the advice that's given in the first command. Stay faithful to me. You feel disrespected. You're out of money. You're discouraged, confused, condemned. There's one thing that I'm asking you to do, and that is stay faithful to me. Don't run after another God. Just don't run after another God. I'm not even telling you what to do with me. I'm just saying don't go after them. This has roots in Genesis chapter 2, 
where we know that uh, what, what God tells Adam is you can eat from any tree in the garden aside from one tree. Just don't do one thing. Just so happens to be the tree in the middle of the garden. I would have put it to the side. That's another story. But he puts the, uh, he puts the tree in the middle of the garden. And then he says, you can do anything you want. Just don't eat from that one tree. Just don't, just don't do one thing. And God says, uh, just have no other gods. Just no other gods. When you're freaking out, don't run to self for the solution. Just don't do that. Just don't make you the problem or the answer. Do a, just don't do that. Do whatever else you want. Just don't, don't worship another God. Don't worship marriage. Don't worship money. Don't run after a quick fix to get you out of what is a legitimate, a legitimately difficult moment. I acknowledge that the moment is difficult, but the primary problem that we consistently see in Scripture is we run after a quick fix, otherwise known as a false god, in order to get us out of our difficulties instead of waiting to be saved through Jesus Christ. This is what we see in the giving of the Ten Commandments. What do we find? We find Moses goes up once. They're already messing up. He was gone too long. They go, you... You, you, you were just gone too long. I have needs. I'm a little bit worried. I'm in a desert, a little disorienting, don't know all this going on, hard to get food, whatever. And they just come up with a false god so quickly. You and I do that. We can't wait in our worship. And it's the one thing that God asks from us, fidelity, faithfulness, singular devotion. So it's interesting that this command is stated in the negative. It doesn't say, worship me alone. It says, have no other gods. I find that interesting. This is going to refer to uh, not committing adultery in a few commands from now. It doesn't say, have a great marriage. It just says, don't have, commit adultery. Isn't that interesting? Now, I have counseled people who are, who are in adultery. And here's what's true. If somebody is in the middle of an affair, they have a, they have a false, they have a lover on the side, there's, it is impossible for them to work on their marriage. It just doesn't happen. Because a marriage is like, Siri didn't understand. Let me say it more slowly. Uh, the, uh, why, so, so marriage is what we call difficult. Write that down. Marriage is difficult, and a false lover isn't. Right? Like, the fault, like that's where you go to escape from the difficulty. So it's impossible to grow a relationship when you have a lover on the side. It's just not going to happen. God knows that a relationship with him is going to have its challenges. And so there's one thing you can't do, go after a false lover. Because there's no way you'll be able to work through the complexity of our relationship if you have an easy out, otherwise known as a false god, and in our country, the god of self. 
Uh, this is beautiful. There's a, a form of governance. If any of you know about boards, if you don't, just tune out for just a moment. But uh, there's a, there's, uh, so, you know, our church has a board, and there's a, there's a popular um, form of governance called the Carver model. It's by a guy named Carver. And here's the idea. When you go to the board, instead of having the board approve everything, they just, it, the board is just there to tell you what you can't do. So you don't have to run every time you want to make a decision as the CEO. You don't have to run off to the board for permission. You just get told, don't spend over this amount. Or follow this, this if, you, if you stay within this limit, then you're fine. This is ingenious. This is how God leads us. You want a relationship with me? There's a thousand ways to do it. Just don't run after false gods. Like I'm just saying the thing not to do because the things to do are so beautiful, so wide, so creative, so delightful, I could never fit them in any book. That's what our relationship with God is like. Rich, wide, abundant, open, whole land, just not one tree in the middle. Love, then, begins with faithfulness. And this is a tragedy that I wish we could grab hold of. That the essence of love is not an emotion. The essence of love is faithfulness. The Ten Commandments are a description of fidelity, not a description of law-keeping. The goal is not to keep ten rules. The goal is to be faithful in our relationship with God and others. We're not earning relationship, we're sanctifying it. We're making it special and unique. Fidelity in your life and mine matters most. You know, I go through, because I live in Canada, I get oppressed like you do, with the, that internal oppression. It's often external, but I mostly feel it internally. And here's what I have to do in my heart. I have to say, um, I'm not sure which way is up. I'm hating this moment, and I feel absolutely overwhelmed. You can't make me forsake my God. I'm not going to run after another God right now. I'm not going to do that. I don't know how to find you, but I'm not going to run after another God. I'm not going to do that. You can't make me. Because at the end of the day, I have one responsibility in my Christianity, and it's to stay faithful to my God by not running after false lovers. And I'm not going to do it. And I've made a covenant in my heart for that to be true. What does faithful worship look like then? Faithful worship is expressed in three locations. We'll go through them quickly, but it's helpful to know. Faithful worship is expressed in three places. First of all, it's personal. Psalm 63, 6 says this. On my bed, I remember you. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love having my devotions on my bed. I don't like the second half of the verse. I think of you through the watches of the night. I don't like that part so much. I like the on the bed part. It's where I uh, typically read my Bible. Uh, uh, the first place that we worship God faithfully is alone. We worship for him. We don't worship for our benefit. We worship for his benefit. We worship because he asked us to. It's not because of how we feel or, or what we think we're going to achieve out of it. We worship him for him. Not publicly so that anybody else can see. We worship him privately. 
So uh, what does, listen, I'm asking you a question now. What does no other gods look like when you're alone? When you're alone, how could you not be with any other gods but just with Yahweh through Christ? What would that look like? When I was, uh, again, this is an old thing, so you can just chalk it up to that, but I think it has merit. Uh, when I was in my 20s, teenager, I listened to music always. There, I, was, I was never quiet. That did not happen. Back then, it wasn't as easy even, but uh, I worked hard, and I was never quiet. If I'm in the car, the radio's on. If I'm, I'm, I'm just, and believe it or not, records were the only thing we had. But uh, that, that wasn't like a cool option. Uh, that was it. And so that, that's always on, or the radio's on. I am never quiet. I, I had no idea how to be alone with God. Now, I, I, I get in the car, and uh, if one of my children, we won't say who, but he's in the back, if, uh, if one of my children is, uh, is, is in the car, I have to, I, I turn off the radio and I go, I got some quiet. This is great. This is great. There's no dogs, uh, no children, equally loud. And uh, I'm just quiet. And I speak in tongues and I worship my father and I'm alone with him. I go upstairs, I read my Bible and I'm just quiet. I'm, I'm quiet more than I'm talking when I pray. I don't talk much when I pray. I find it distracting. I don't like listening to my voice. I just like being with him and quiet and for him. And I'm mostly thinking about get ridding, getting rid of the other gods that are screaming in my ear. Do you know how to be alone with God? God's presence is everywhere. So I've asked the question particularly, do you know how to be alone with God? That's the first way. Number two is communally. Psalm 134.2 says this, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. What we're doing right now, I think is misnamed. If you said, probably, it's what I would say, if you say, where are you going? Uh, we would say, I'm going to a church service. I think that's misnamed. I think we should call it a worship service. I think that's a better word for it. We're going to worship together. I think when you and I come here, we should sing together. Now, um, some of you will go, I think you're a little hypocritical because I've watched you. I can't, uh, I have a problem with my voice. And right now, I'm taking a thing that allows me to salivate. It's a little thing right in my cheek. I was, uh, it looked like I was vaping coming here. I have, to, I have to breathe in stuff to come here. I blow in a straw to do these exercises. I'm really trying to work on my voice. But if I was to sing, I wouldn't be able to preach. So please forgive me. Uh, but in my heart, I'm here. I remember... Uh, uh, the, the church that I used to go to before this church, an outstanding church, and there was one guy who was just a great Christian, just a great Christian. But what he would do whenever he would worship on a Sunday is he would go into a corner and he would worship over here. And I'm thinking, 
I could swear that you could do that at home. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could go in a corner at home. Like, the reason why we're here is to engage in corporate worship. You need to hear others, and others need to hear you. We need to worship God together. Why? Because we are trying to defeat the God of self. And so we worship together the true and only God. It needs to be done corporately, or else if it was only personal worship, it could probably get self-centered. Make it about you. We get freed from a self-centered life by worshiping God uh, corporately. Julie Canlis, who I love quoting just because I think she's an amazing theologian, says, we need to hear this just because self is screaming in our ears. Self is not lost in relationships. It's found there. You don't lose yourself coming here. You find yourself. You gain an identity. You now know who you are and who you belong to. Uh, right now, um, you know, researchers research everything. And so one of the things that they research is, when do people think that they're regular churchgoers? And it seems now that people will say, I regularly go to church if they go to church once a month. I regularly go. I go once a month. Uh, I think we should come every week. I think we should come whenever the doors are open. I, uh, um, when I go on holidays, I go to church because I'm a Christian. I'm not a pastor. I'm a Christian. And I need to be with you. You're my family. Why would I ever not want to be with my family? What could be more important than that? I don't know. I need to be here if I am going to forsake the God of self in my life. And if the decisions that you and I make to not be here are somehow about self, I think it's a problem. Finally, we worship him missionally. In Psalm 57, verses 9 to 10, it says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. It is impossible. So you know how um, if we just worship personally, it becomes self-centered. The danger is if we worship here, it could become self-centered because it's just about us. So worship, in order for us to rightly worship God, it needs to break out beyond these walls. It needs to be a missional worship. It needs to be in and among the nations. Worship naturally expands. There's no way, there's just no way that if you and I encounter the living God, that that would stay an inside um, experience. It, 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 it demands by its very nature to move out. And so when you and I struggle to do evangelism, it's not a sign that you're lazy. It's a sign that you're still, and me, is still working on worship. Because if we grabbed a hold of the glory of God, no one could shut us up. The beautiful thing about missional worship is that it actually refines our personal worship. One of the things that I am most grateful for is traveling to China, experiencing an entirely different kind of worship. A worship that, uh, as a white male Canadian, just didn't have context for. And I get a, I get a, a fuller revelation of who God is 
when I move outside of the walls, and when I, uh, I share my faith with people who are self-worshippers, I realize how my worship needs to be refined. That I go, this isn't good. When you talk, you kind of sound like me, except I use Christian words. Oh. Maybe what I thought was the worship of God was really just a blending that was a lot about the worship of self. And somehow I'm convincing you to become a Christian, but it sounds, what I think, sounds a whole lot like what you think. And so maybe I have to reconsider what my worship is really about. It refines my worship by taking the worship outside of these walls. Our worship is personal, communal, and missional. Let's conclude. Uh, You can put that sentence up. Canada's secular religion. I thought about this sentence for a really long time, so it means something to me, so pretend you're interested. Uh, I'm just playing with you. Uh, Canada's secular religion calls emotions truth, therapists priests, pain evil, myself good, and self-care salvation. I think that's the God of this nation. Emotions are my truth as we say. Therapists, everybody knows this. Um, uh, Pastors do triage. If you're really hurting, you don't go see a pastor, you see a therapist. Everybody knows that, right? Because if you have a real problem, pastors just like tell you to love Jesus or trust him or something. But if you have a real problem, you have to go off to a therapist. And I sound sarcastic. I experience this almost daily. Pain is the new evil. I'm good. I have some issues, but those aren't who I truly am. Deep, 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 deep down, I'm really good. And self-care is always our salvation. You will never hear the religion in Canada saying that, uh, that loving another is going to be healing for you. You don't hear that. Caring for yourself is healing for you. In contrast, Christians call the Bible truth. Pastors are priests, for better or for worse. Sin is evil. Only God is good, and Jesus is our salvation. And the fruit of that is recorded in Romans 14, 17, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of following the true God, the living God. Our liberation from the slavery that you and I experience, again, I emphasize primarily internally, our liberation is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I commission you today with one job description. Stay faithful to God. In any given moment, you might not know what to do, but you know what not to do. Don't run after a quick fix. Don't run after another God who promises immediate relief from a difficult moment. And if you and I can figure out how to stay faithful, he will be properly glorified. And we might receive some benefit, side benefit. Don't negotiate. 
stay faithful. You could have the worship team come up, please. I'd like to pray for us. My urgency is that you and I would understand how important worship is. Worship is my salvation. It's my salvation. Not self-care, not, not time management, not positive self-talk, not more money, not more vacation. Jesus is my salvation. And when I am internally or externally oppressed, I have a worship problem, not a technical problem. Please, can we believe this together? Let's pray. Father, I find it remarkable and perfect that you would make this the first command. Father, we apologize for making fidelity optional. We would worship you, it's just that you're slow sometimes. We would worship you, it's just that you don't always do what we want. Father, would you give us the courage to forsake God's that promise self-centered fulfillment. And you would give us the grace to stay true to you. We agree together that your son had one question. Will the son of man find faith, faithfulness when he returns? And I ask on behalf of my friends that we would be found faithful in our worship of you, willing to even suffer that your name might be glorified and that we might be marked among the saints. So I ask that you would clarify in our hearts worship and that even now we could as one body together declare what is true about you and that this would be our salvation. sitting there I thought I should make a caveat because I think I spoke too strongly about something I think that uh, there's a great place in the church and in our own lives for biblical counseling and for seeing psychologists and psychiatrists particularly if there are medical if there's medication those kinds of things so I don't want to I don't want you to go away feeling guilty that if you're uh, if you're seeing um, somebody for that kind of help and the church is full of great counselors who, uh, who trust in the Bible and who lead us to trust in God and not in self. So I just want to make that clear because uh, that would not be fair to people who practice that as well as those of us who visit them.